This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, June 30th, 2022 on KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. In just a moment, we meet entrepreneurs with ideas of how to make life better. They're the Northwest Arkansas people working in the third cohort of the Heartland Forward Builders and Backers program. In all, dozens of people from across the middle of the country are in a three-month sprint to develop ideas with support from investors, experts, and each other. And Leah Ribe's Sound Perimeter introduces us to composers, musicians, and singers from Argentina. That will be in our second half hour. By the end of the program, you'll be tired of the song. Earlier this month, dozens of entrepreneurs from across the middle of the country joined a Zoom conference to begin a 90-day journey to bring their ideas to reality. Ten of the participants are from Northwest Arkansas. Other successful applicants came from Joplin, Oklahoma City, Helena, West Helena, Arkansas, Clarksdale, Mississippi, Duluth, Pine Bluff, and other cities located between Colorado and Pennsylvania. The Idea Accelerator Project, the Community Growth Program, is a collaboration between Heartland Forward, based in Bentonville, and Builders and Backers, a firm designed to help bring new ideas to life. The inaugural Zoom meeting for this cohort featured computer screen after computer screen of people with ideas and the team that will work with them. Well, welcome everyone. It is, I I think, one of our favorite days of the year uh, because today is a day that lots of new ideas get started and new entrepreneurs get their first beginnings. And so for us, it's a super exciting day. Donna Harris, the CEO of Builders and Backers, calls herself a serial entrepreneur. She says her career-long desire to help entrepreneurs stems, in part, from seeing her father laid off from General Motors after 33 years, just two years shy of retirement. And to make ends meet, he took an hourly job at Office Max and part-time work. And that experience really left an indelible mark on me as I thought about the nature of communities and some of the challenges around me. Harris says taking on challenges is at the heart of this project, as is fighting what she says is a narrow definition of entrepreneurship. We sort of see entrepreneurship as something where I can create a business, but not necessarily something around solving the problems. So this is where the concept of the idea accelerator and what we call buildership were born, right? And this is why we think experimentation is such a powerful tool because it it applies whether you are actually trying to launch a new company or whether you are trying to solve a problem that you care about in your community. She calls the three-month accelerator for the entrepreneurs Idea agnostic. She says technology, policy change, small business, and nonprofit ideas are all welcome. And she says the spark for many of the participants is to be inspired by the phrase, somebody should do something about the Northwest Arkansas entrepreneurs who applied for and were accepted into this third cohort of the program, each received $5,000 with no strings attached. The Northwest Arkansas group includes Elizabeth Pringer, a mother of two boys. She says her idea is to help other mothers soon after they give birth. A lot of women are sent home from the hospital after giving birth with instructions from nurses to make a pad sickle sandwich and they compare it to a cold cut sandwich, um, which is basically a a DIY uh, frozen maxi pad that has some different levels of uh, healing elements that the the hospitals recommend. Um, They end up being messy and complicated and the last thing you want to do when you're in pain and caring for a new baby. Um, is put together something that takes a while and gets your hands all gross. Um, So that's what um, I believe women's asses deserve better. So I'm creating an innovative postpartum recovery product called the Assicle uh, to not only help women heal after childbirth, but to give us a humorous approach to talk about something that's hard uh, to talk about something that's hard to talk about. Other concepts from the Northwest Arkansas set of entrepreneurs include Lakeisha Bradley's idea to use art to help healing. I am the CEO and founder of Mighty by Design Therapeutic Art Studios located here in Fayetteville. And also we have a second location in Rogers, Arkansas. And our mission is helping individuals see their value and know their worth and utilize art as the gateway to doing that, to creating a space of holistic healing. Heartland Forward, the Bentonville-based self-described Think and Do Tank, will team with builders and backers to provide not just expertise and advice, but money to cover expenses connected to development and experimentation. Katie Milligan, 
the innovation and entrepreneurship manager at Heartland Forward, says it's not just the money that's available, but connections and mentorship, too. I hope you all know that no matter how you need um, resources, Heartland Forward is there. We really, I think, can be super helpful in making additional connections across the Heartland and even after um, your time in the Idea Accelerator is over. And that time is over fast. From that inaugural Zoom meeting in mid-June to the end of this third edition of the program, just 90 days. The support team with Heartland Forward and Builders and Backers breaks down the work into four periods during those three months. Getting clear for takeoff, experiment in design, experiment in execution, and then evaluation. Each of those sessions a few weeks long, compartmentalized to reduce the chance for being overwhelmed. And there is an intended spirit of unity among the entrepreneurs, both within the groups of entrepreneurs from each individual metro area and across the entire class. Donna Harris, CEO of Builders and Backers, says the support team uses the mantra, we can come together by building together. Many of the participants are already business owners or well into established careers. Others, like Carlos Diaz, are younger. He's an international student at the University of Arkansas from Panama. He says a similarity he noticed between his home and rural Arkansas inspired him to design a plan to democratize technology for agriculture. One thing I noticed when I was growing up was that every year was harder and harder to get uh, to produce more food. And people seem to be struggling a lot with that. So I always wonder what would I be able to do in order to help uh, this situation for changing because uh, food is one of the most elemental things that we need. And as we were running out of uh, natural resources and other like uh, productive land, I was always thinking that technology was actually the key that will help to solve that problem. For each entrepreneur from Northwest Arkansas, there seems to be a personal seed like the one Carlos has experienced. Brent Robinson of Fayetteville says his concept to develop an affordable, easy way to modify a traditional bicycle to an e-bike began at home. The challenge was in January of 2020, uh, I weighed 50 pounds more than I do right now. And as the COVID uh, pandemic was starting, the statistics and things were saying, you know, comorbidities, sleep apnea, you know, obesity, you're going to be on a respirator and higher chance of dying. And uh, I didn't want to be one of those statistics. So after 10 years of having left a passion like mountain biking, setting out my garage, I decided to get back to it. The support will not come just from Heartland Forward and Builders and Backers. There's corporate partnership as well. Donna Harris says the newest class of entrepreneurs has already taken the biggest step, summoning the courage to proceed. Now, she says, they'll work together. We have made entrepreneurship about money and returns, more so than about change and empowering people and being able to solve the things we care about. So I'm on a mission to help solve that. And that's why my idea was builders and backers and why now we're all sitting here on this Zoom call because we're helping make that happen with each of you. The entrepreneurs are roughly two weeks into their three-month process and we hope to catch up with the Northwest Arkansas Ensemble as they continue working on their ideas. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Urban Jungle Tropical Plant Care and Rental, offering a variety of indoor plants, living walls, and outdoor planters for residential and commercial spaces. Urban Jungle serves Benton and Washington counties with maintenance-free, month-to-month care and services. Details at 466-5033 or urbanjunglenwa.com. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Later this hour, Leah Uribe and Sound Perimeter. She'll offer a sampling of composers, singers, and music from Argentina, plus an Instagram famous dog. That's all beginning in about 20 minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. Mortgage rates, you may have heard, are going up. News of inflation and the Federal Reserve rate hikes have created some volatility in the markets, which is causing mortgage rates to rise to their highest point in nearly 14 years. Rising rates have cut into affordability for home buyers, but is that leading to a drop in demand for homes in Northwest Arkansas? 
Coming up today, we will get some perspective from Mike Dooley, who heads up the Keller Williams real estate franchise in Northwest Arkansas, Market Pro Realty. That's next on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Live fearless. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Mike Dooley is a longtime real estate broker working in Northwest Arkansas. He is the CEO of the Dooley Group, working for Keller Williams Market Pro Realty. The company has an office in Bentonville and just a few days ago relocated its Fayetteville office to College Avenue. I spoke with Dooley this week to get his perspective on rising interest rates and what impact, if any, that is having on Northwest Arkansas's residential real estate market. I would say, too, last two weeks, this is the first time that if you look at the MLS, so for instance, the last seven days, listings went bigger than pendings, which we use that language to mean under contracts or sales, so new sales. So for the last seven days, it was at 45 units, and then pendings or under contracts were only at 37. So that's one of our first indications of maybe some sort of change. Also, though, in looking at you know, talking to a lot of lenders and real estate people, going over 6% interest, because it happened so rapidly, I think, it caused people kind of, we felt like a 7 to 10 day pause where they weren't acting. They were just waiting to see what happened. And, you know, the good news is, I will tell you today, the optimistic news is that people said, okay, this is the new market and life we live in, and let's get back to buying and selling, and we believe that's, that's moving right in the right direction. And, you know, I, I had a just a quick stat I was thinking about, thinking about our, our time together. If you look kind of up since 2005, on average, there's been 5.1 million homes sold in the United States. And Northwest Arkansas is, so if you look at that, people are always, unfortunately, divorce happens or they're moving or death or they're adding a baby. So life occurrences, as we call them. So they're still occurring. So it's not slowing people down from those purchases. But I think it slowed them down from maybe they were going to trade up for a pool or maybe they wanted a home office. I think it slowed them from doing kind of those discretionary moves. Yeah, I think that's you mentioned that. I think that's one of the fundamentals here in Northwest Arkansas is the fact that, yes, there are still going to be people moving into this market. I think the number 30 people a day. And so uh, there's still going to be houses bought and sold. Are we pivoting maybe from a I think we've been in a strong, strong seller's market. Are we going from a seller's market to a buyer's market, or maybe not that extreme yet? Uh, maybe not that extreme yet. I would say traditionally, too, if you look at June, July, some of the summer months, our inventory does increase. So probably the last 18 months, we've stayed about 500 units from a residential perspective. Right now, I looked just this morning, we were just under 1,400 residential units. Right. So that's almost three, 3x inventory. So that's something else, too. You know, and I, I, the optimism in me, too, would tell someone if they were maybe eight months ago or a year ago, they were going to buy a home and they were contingency. They had to sell a home to buy a home. There was really, it was very difficult for them to win uh, something in a bidding war at that time. Yeah. Today, if you're almost 3x inventory, the optimism in me is saying, hey, now's a good time where you might get have an opportunity to have a contingency and buy a home. And that's a traditional market, though. You talked about maybe switching to a buyer's market. Mm -hmm. That normally does happen. You know, in, in our years, last year, you know, we did almost uh, 3,600 units. We weren't seeing this 20, 30, 40 offers, you know, in prior years past. Mm -hmm. So I think that's bringing us more to a normalized market, if you will. 
Yeah, and it hasn't been normal where you see, uh, you know, these days we've had of, of homes selling over a weekend with multiple offers and, and way over list price. I mean, those days are, are probably going to come to an end, If uh, right? I, I, I'd say, you know, I don't have – my wife says this. She threw away her crystal ball, which I really <laughs> like that. Um, but today, yeah, we're not seeing 20 and 30 offers, you know, on a, yeah. on a house you know, call it 400 price point, we might see three to four, which can be maybe a little above average, um, but we're not seeing this where they're bringing 40 or 50,000 cash, call it this gap to appraisal. Mm -hmm. That's slowing some too. We're seeing closer to list price, you know, maybe 103, 104% to list price. Yeah, good stuff. Any other other signs or data points? You mentioned what you see in the MLS. You know, what, what is the canary in the coal mine that you are are looking for moving forward that you that you have seen or you will see that that will illustrate a dramatic change or just a change in the region's housing market for northwest arkansas what one thing for me is if you look at our appreciation the last two years you know there's been a lot of different stats out there from the university of arkansas you know obviously your publication generally i see about 20 percent appreciation for the last two years so if you really look at the rate, say it holds at 5.71 or somewhere, you know, south of 6, you're still, if you look at appreciation, you're still winning from a total math component. And I think that's what people need to think about. When they look at just rate, you're looking at only one piece of the pizza. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you're only going to eat crust. No, we eat a pizza. You know, you have pepperoni, cheese, you have the sauce, you have everything. And I think a true professional will help their client understand with our appreciation here, you're still winning. And if you look at the stock market or other financial instruments, they're not winning at the level of 20%. I know they wish. So it's just something to think about. If I can use my money and use it for 5.71, I'm still winning uh, at the end game. Even investors, I think investors are slowing and they shouldn't uh, if you look at that appreciation. And I've seen a stat too. Last 10 years, I think we've appreciated Northwest Arkansas, not including the last two, 4.5 on average. Yeah. So you're still almost parallel with that interest rate, so it's still a win. Yeah. Well, you, I'll make a quick pivot to investing and investments. Keller Williams, the, the franchise here, Market Pro Realty, you guys have made an investment in Fayetteville. Tell us a little about your, your, uh, your company plans in, in College Avenue. Yeah, well, we're super excited. You want to be in, in the heart of Fayetteville, you know, where else than right behind Rick's uh, Bakery. As you know, Mark Zwig uh, designed and developed that building. And we're just we're so excited for our agents. I think it's just under 6,800 square feet. Um, but just the growth in our brokerage, doing the right thing. And, and the only thing I would leave with you too is we think about God family business. And if you if if you do, I'll pivot on this. You look at gas prices. You look at the way people are living today. We want to think about our agents if they want to live and work and be hyper local. They needed to be in Fayetteville. So that's why we made that move, which we're excited about. And that's Mike Dooley with Keller Williams Market Pro Realty. In other news this week, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission said on Tuesday that it has sued Walmart, alleging the company had allowed scam artists to use its money transfer services for fraud that cost consumers, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars. Walmart called the lawsuit factually misguided and legally flawed. And happy anniversary to one of Fayetteville's most well-known breweries. Fossil Cove Brewing Company turned 10 years old this month. Ben Mills is the owner and founder. You can find business news from Northwest Arkansas and around the state at nwabusinessjournal.com and our sister website, talkbusiness.net. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. In May, the Benedictine nuns of St. Scholastica in Fort Smith surprised residents and historic preservationists across Arkansas when they announced they would be demolishing their 98-year-old monastery. Rachel Patton with Preserve Arkansas was one of the people who tried to save the building unsuccessfully. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spoke with Patton earlier this month to discuss the importance of historic preservation and why the St. Scholastica announcement hit a nerve for so many in the state. All right, Rachel. So can you tell me just a little bit about the work that you do at Preserve Arkansas and, um, you know, a little bit about the state of historic preservation in Arkansas? Sure. 
Preserve Arkansas is the statewide nonprofit advocate for historic preservation. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization founded in 1981, and we're based in downtown North Little Rock, Arkansas, but we work all over the state. We do, uh, our work is mainly achieved through a mixture of educational programming, preservation advocacy. We advocate for preservation-friendly policies at all levels of government, and we also advocate for endangered historic places around the state, and we provide a lot of technical assistance or answering questions about all aspects of historic preservation from the National Register to preservation incentives like grants and historic tax credits but we deal with a lot of owners of historic property, but anyone who's interested in in preservation in their community is welcome uh, to contact us. And we, we do that a lot. Yeah. And I know that you were um, working to get a grant together to kind of assess St. Scholastica and you had reached out to, um, to the sisters there. Can you tell me a little bit about that process and about kind of what you know about what's going on with that demolition and that, project? It caught me and I believe most other folks off guard. So that was the beginning really of our involvement with it was at that point. Um, We had never been contacted or asked for any information or assistance prior to that date. I believe the state historic preservation office was the same way. So we immediately tried to reach out to the sisters and to offer some ideas, some alternatives to demolition. Those offers were not accepted, so I went ahead and reached out to the National Trust for Historic Preservation, which is the national nonprofit organization that works to promote and encourage preservation across the country, and asked the National Trust for an emergency intervention grant in order to hire an architect with experience in preservation to come in and assess the condition of St. Scholastica. So what we, what Preserve Arkansas was asking was nothing more than to agree to delay the demolition and to grant the architects and engineers access to the building so that they could make their assessment and then present the results to them. Unfortunately, they declined that offer. And when you hear, um, you know, about this project or like this demolition or other buildings that you hear are, are run down or going to be demolished or something, you know, what what about that takes you um, or catches you off guard, like you were saying? What about that piques your interest and makes you want to reach out? Well, the building is listed in the National Register of Historic Places. It's significant architecturally and historically and is one of the few grand examples of Gothic revival style architecture in the state of Arkansas. And it's, you know, it's also a powerful legacy of the Benedictine sisters there in in Fort Smith. Yeah. And, you know, when you are preserving a building, I think a lot of people maybe from the outside would look at it and see, okay, well, you're just keeping an old building up. You know, is there something about preservation about like bringing these places into um, the modern era into like people's everyday lives and, and incorporating it into their world, making it more accessible for more people, these historic buildings. Is that part of the preservation process too? Preservation is not just saving historic buildings for the sake of saving old buildings. Most historic buildings are not going to become museums and nor should they be. We want things to be restored, rehabilitated, adaptively reused. Those are all three different things, um, three different ways to to save and repurpose a historic building. But we want them to remain in use and be relevant to modern-day needs and people. We don't want them to be frozen in time. Obviously, these are the tangible reminders of our past, and they help to tell stories in our communities sometimes difficult stories. So that's one aspect of preservation that's important to note. The other is the economic aspect of preservation. It is a proven 
economic development tool. Heritage tourism is the second largest industry in Arkansas, and heritage tourists come to Arkansas, they stay longer, and they spend more money. Also, there is data that we have from an economic impact study that was commissioned by the Arkansas Historic Preservation Program in 2020, and it studied the economic impacts of preservation in Arkansas. And one of the things that they looked at was our state historic tax credit program. And in 2019, for every dollar that was issued by the state in historic tax credit, the private sector invested $18. And for every $1 million invested in a historic rehab project, that generated an additional $700,000 in economic activity. And can you think of any, um, are there any projects that come to your mind that you think exemplify that, that are, that are success stories in your mind of preservation here in Arkansas? Recent projects in downtown Hot Springs, the Superior Bathhouse, the Hale Bathhouse, which is now the Hotel Hale, um, the Thompson Building. I feel like they, Hot Springs had its own wake-up call, because we've, we've talked about this with St. Scholastica and and Fort Smith being um, a wake-up call locally and statewide. It's gotten so much attention, but people will be familiar with the Majestic Hotel and its destruction in downtown Hot Springs and the impact that that had. And it really was a turning point for downtown. I feel like it it motivated people to, to get going, <laughs> not to wait around anymore on somebody else to do this, but to go ahead and make it happen. Or they were at risk of losing more of these irreplaceable assets. In Northwest Arkansas, the efforts at Historic Cane Hill, some of the oldest buildings in the county remain at Historic Cane Hill. Examples of downtown that have done well besides Hot Springs, uh, Batesville, downtown North Little Rock, the Argenta Historic District. And why it's really important to for everyone in a community to be interested and to really get behind and and cheerlead any kind of rehabilitation efforts in their downtown is that it's everybody's downtown. It may not be, you know, right in your immediate neighborhood, but I mean, that's where even going beyond preservation, if, if, you know, other economic development opportunities um, outside of historic preservation and outside of downtown, where are they going to bring their prospective clients or people who are thinking about, locating there, they're going to take them downtown. And your downtown is a reflection on your entire community. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, in your opinion, like, how do we get to this point in the case of like St. Scholastica or in other, uh, maybe in that hot springs when they had that, you know, reckoning moment with these buildings, how how do people sort of, um, you know, maybe they're in places that aren't considered historic yet, but, you know, give it 20, 50 years and it maybe will be something that is considered historic. How do we keep it from being run down and needing to really be overhauled to preserve or at risk of losing? First of all, buildings are considered historic when they're 50 years old. That's the, that's the criteria established Um, by the National Register of Historic Places. So we're now seeing buildings that were constructed in 1972 that are eligible for the National Register. So that is something important to point out to people that when they think about historic, it doesn't have to be really, really old. (laughs) It's it's things that are sometimes in, in their lifetime that are considered historic. The way that we avoid situations like that, where things get, they appear to be too overwhelming, is to have a better dialogue and to also try to do regular maintenance projects. So I would encourage people to to take advantage of the preservation incentives that are available to do regular upkeep and maintenance. And also that people need to think about taking small bites out of projects like that too, that are so big and you can responsibly phase a project where you take care of the most pressing need. And if you need to mothball it for a while, then fine. I'm willing to listen to anybody. (laughs) 
I'll talk to anybody about a preservation project. Um, and if there's a way for us to help them, then I will. Uh, whether that's just providing information and guidance on the phone or by email, then I'm happy to do that just to tell them what's available to them. You know, the first question is always going to be, what's the address and is it listed in the National Register? Do you know? And if they don't know, then we can look up and find. But that National Register listing is what opens the door to most preservation incentive programs. So that's why that's so important. Things that we really spend a lot of time on, properties that have been included on our most endangered places list over the years, those get a lot more of our time as advocacy priorities and we're able to allocate more time to those projects in the form of actual writing grants, writing National Register nominations. We've done both of those things for properties on our most endangered places list. And although St. Scholastica wasn't officially included on that list, I feel like that was that was a no-brainer whenever that came across my desk just because of the, the significance of the building. That was Rachel Patton, Executive Director of Preserve Arkansas, speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. Demolition of St. Scholastica could begin as early as tomorrow. The whole health school of medicine to be built in Bentonville will now be known as the Alice L. Walton School of Medicine. The name change was announced in a press release this morning. According to that release, the board of directors for the school unanimously approved the name change yesterday. The school had previously announced partnerships with the Cleveland Clinic and the Washington Regional Medical System. Construction on the 145,000-foot facility scheduled to begin next spring. First class of medical students arriving in autumn of 2025. Mic check 3456. This is Rye C, more commonly known as Ryan Versi, and I'm the new underwriting director here at KUAF. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that versatility and access to variety is extremely important to me. At KUAF, we have a wide variety of programming, from news to entertainment, and an even wider variety of sources. That's why you should consider giving to KUAF. Whether you become a supporting member or provide a one-time gift, you can give online at supportkuaf.com. Any and everything is greatly appreciated. Thanks. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you to everybody who contributes and supports KUAF and Ozarks at Large. You can make a contribution at supportkuaf.com before midnight to help us reach our $50,000 goal for June, the last month of our fiscal year. As of mid-morning today, we had raised more than $47,000. We're going to spend a few minutes with Leah Uribe, as we do almost every Thursday for Sound Perimeter. We're reaching back a few months for an edition of Sound Perimeter that we've heard before but wanted to share again. at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Argentina is a melting pot of culture in the Americas. Argentinian musicians have fused European, African, and indigenous influences into a mix of musical styles in its most popular tangos, milongas, musica folklorica, and the myriad of classical composers that are now finally visible in the rest of the world with their unique and masterful pieces. In recent days, the world lost one of those amazing composers, Claudia Montero, four-time Latin Grammy Award winner, who was a composer in residence at the Palau de la Musica in Barcelona and on the faculty of the Conservatorio Superior de Musica in Valencia. Claudia passed away at age 58 in Spain. She is remembered as one of the most outstanding and acclaimed composers in Latin America, with her music rooted in the rhythms and nostalgia of her native country, Argentina. We remember Claudia Montero through her music today with Lágrimas de Buenos Aires, interpreted by Heike Matisen in the guitar.
That was an excerpt from the late Claudia Montero's Lágrimas de Buenos Aires, interpreted by Heike Matheson in the guitar. Noel Escalzo de Casella, composer from Córdoba, Argentina, has written extensively for orchestral instruments. I met Noelia in Atlanta in 2016, while we were both attending a double read conference. Noelia was then featured as the composer of a brand new work for contrabassoon soloist, and she captivated the audience by her sounds, both lyrical and powerful, and a true representation of her origins. Today, I want to introduce you to another remarkable woman composer from Argentina, Noelia Scalzo, and her piece, Contratubeando, interpreted by Patricio Cosentino. <laughs> was an excerpt from Argentinian composer Noelia Scalzo and her piece Contratubeando, interpreted by tuba player Patricio Cosentino. Today, we are remembering and highlighting the work of Argentinian women composers. We end Sound Perimeter with Sofia Rey, yet another remarkable award-winning vocalist, composer, and producer. Her music draws from multiple sources, ranging from South American folkloric styles to pop, jazz, new classical, and electronic music. Her song, Todo lo perdido reaparece, Everything that has been lost reappears, with lyrics by Argentinian poet Sandra Cornejo, appeared in her album De Tierra y Oro, Of Earth and Gold, from 2012 an album that speaks of Sofia's own musical identity, South American themes of folklore, and her exploration of a contemporary world of sounds. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Todo lo perdido reaparece, la vida se muestra para que el ojo la alcance. Abre lo que separa un mundo de otro, abre lo que separa lo perdido. Retoma la sutura, cosa en la tela que se 
descubre lo que se We'll hear more archival sound perimeters in July, and then Leah will be back with all new editions later this summer. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A Malvern company bottled a dozen soft drink flavors for 65 years. J.M. Clem and his son Doc started the Clem Bottling Works in 1907 in a small building behind their house, building a bottling plant and warehouse seven years later. Among their original concoctions were Clem's Cola, R-Pep, Strawberry, Cream Soda, Fruit Punch, Pep Up, Rock and Rye, and Chocolate. J.M. Clem died in 1931, and Doc Clem's son Harold joined the firm two years later. He and his mother Jewel ran the business after Doc's death in 1942. In 1972, they sold the company to Dr. Pepper, retaining the bottling equipment. Mountain Valley Spring Water and Hot Springs bought the equipment in the early 1990s, and the Excel Bottling Company in Breeze, Illinois bought cases of Clem bottles in 2011. Excel trademarked and began producing R-Pep from the original formula. The Clem Bottling Company factory was vacant for many years, but is now home to a dentist office. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large. For some, Instagram is a place to keep up with friends. Follow your favorite restaurants and, if you're like me, a place to share photos of my dog. Anna and Joseph Harrington had the same idea with Penny, their golden doodle puppy. Quickly, she grew a following and a platform with the handle Penny the Ozark Doodle. But how do you keep more than 18,000 Instagram followers from going to your fluffy head? Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore investigates. In a new neighborhood just west of Bentonville, I'm greeted enthusiastically at the door by Penny. Penny is a five-year-old F1 Golden Doodle, which means she is a first-generation litter from a full-bred Golden Retriever and a full-bred Poodle. Caught in the mic cable now. <laughs> Penny joined the Harrington family as a wedding gift. One of my best friends from high school her family raises golden retrievers and also golden doodles in Vermont. And uh, my parents have one of their golden retrievers, great dog. And once we got married, part of their, their wedding gift to us was to bump us to the top of the list for one of their puppies. And uh, we, wanted, we really liked the hypoallergenic aspect of things. So Penny um, hopped on a plane from Vermont to Arkansas and has been with us for five years now. She'll be six in November, and uh, she's, she's, it's been a blast. What was the impetus to decide to start an Instagram account for her? Yeah, I work in marketing, so social media is a big part of my business, and um, it's just also a hobby and pastime, and kind of had a thought maybe my friends don't want daily updates of my new puppy so we can expand a little bit to um, people that only want to see penny content and for the first two years of her life i was posting every day you know we would go on adventures to interesting locations come up with funny captions and it was like we were really into it and uh to my surprise, it kind of took off. And once we, I remember getting like 500 followers and being like, wow, there are 500 strangers that care about my dog. And it just kind of grew from there. Anna and Joseph moved to Northwest Arkansas from North Carolina just a few months before they received Penny. And exploring the Ozarks with Penny had a dual function for them. It was a great way to go and meet new people. And then through her Instagram, finding people in the same area, we had puppy play dates, meetups at the local dog park. It was a really great way to meet people and also just get us out of our little bubble and kind of explore what Northwest Arkansas has to offer. I remember taking her to Lake Atalanta when she was a little puppy in Rogers and just, you know, people anywhere she goes, people stop and want to pet with, play with her. And yeah, it's just kind of incorporating her into our daily lives and making sure to document it on, along the way. Joseph is a middle school teacher and says having personal social media can be tricky with students. But with the Penny Instagram account, it's an opportunity to allow his students a view inside if they want to see. I think it is neat that they are able to relate or rather I'm relatable to them. They follow. I have a few students, former students, who will follow Penny. And so it's neat to be able to know that they still want to keep in touch with things that are going on in my life. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I kind of stopped thinking that my 
teachers existed outside of school. And so it's neat to know that they care about um, Penny and about what's going on in our lives. And uh, I appreciate as an educator having students who, you know, reach out to me and say, I didn't know that your dog was Instagram famous. Um, so it, it's neat to be able to see her be recognized within the community. In the heyday of Penny's daily posts on Instagram, Anna says they were hearing from brands to collaborate and get paid for being a very good pup with a lot of followers. After about six months, um, we got our first little brand deal. We have a closet full of like personalized bandanas that, th that she's been sent. Everything from human apparel to beer companies sponsoring Penny for, for a shout out on her Instagram. And there's small commissions associated with each of those. Um, but that aspect has kind of died off because I'm not constantly pushing out content. And, you know, if you're not constantly communicating with your followers, then your engagement will suffer. So um, we don't do as much of the branded work anymore, but um, we're trying to use it. More as just uh, every once in a while, if there's something that we'd like to share or a fun video, that, that's kind of the direction we've gone. One of the ways Penny's platform has impacted the community actually didn't involve Penny, per se. About a year ago, Joseph was picking up Anna from a late night flight at XNA. And he had mentioned when he picked me up, he'd seen this really haggard dog on the side of the road and... Um, was wondering if it would still be there. And we live very close to the airport. And so it took us a few minutes to get back to the spot where he saw this dog. And um, he was just kind of collapsed on the side of the road, very, very skinny. And um, thankfully he wasn't hit by a car, but just, just very emaciated. They picked him up and brought him home to stay in their garage while they made a game plan. They called a local emergency vet to ask what they should do. And the vet said, give him a water, a little bit of food, and, you know, you might have to bring him in to be euthanized humanely um, in the morning, just depending on what kind of state he's in. And so it was very traumatic, and we didn't get a lot of sleep that night, but he, he made it through the night. Sorry, the cat. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he made it through the night, and uh, we took him to the emergency vet, got some tests done, and, um, you know, very expensive pet bill and lots of uh, a road for recovery for him. And um, so we kind of put out a call to action on Penny's Instagram with some photos of this dog, giant dog, maybe some St. Bernard mix. So we affectionately call him Bernie and um, just kind of said, you know, we set up a GoFundMe. If you can spare $5 or if not, if you can just share and spread the word, we'd really appreciate it. And it took off and we raised about $2,000 for his care and lab work and supplies and um, puppy food with high calorie to get him back on track. And um, it was just amazing to see something that started as a silly hobby for my <laughs> dog <laughs> turn into something a little more meaningful and, and saving the life of Bernie, who at the time was 33 pounds when we found him, and now he's 100 pounds and living with a family friend and like just a total turnaround. And it was really cool to be a part of and something like a dog Instagram was very uh, instrumental in, in his recovery. Penny recently gained a doggy sister, a one-year-old named Betty. Betty comes from the same farm in Vermont as Penny. Uh, she just had her very first birthday and uh, they, their personalities could not be more different, but they are very much bonded and best friends. Betty was born missing one of her front legs, so she's a tripod, as we like to call her. And um, But she doesn't let her slow, slow her down. She's super fast and very energetic, as you've seen, and um, just she's hilarious. Their personalities just, it's so interesting how they can ha be so different. Penny is very, she's kind of serious, has her moments of goofiness, but just a sweet dog. <laughs> Betty is a uh, spitfire. She just is like constantly on the move and uh, just funny, funny dog. You can follow the adventures of Penny and her little sister Betty on Instagram at Penny the Ozark Doodle. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. Hey Penny, can you sit? Oh. <laughs> She's like, I think this is a treat. <laughs> 
No dogs on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. I don't think so anyway. But what we do have on tomorrow's show, a new El Salvador consulate has opened in Springdale. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich will have that report. Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics helps us look back at the week. And Courtney Lanning offers her thoughts about The Princess, a new movie premiering on Hulu tomorrow. That's all on Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. tomorrow and on your schedule with the Ozarks at Large podcast. KUAF is supported by Golan and Sharon CPAs, providing tax and accounting services to businesses and individuals. Located at 64 West Colt Square in Fayetteville, 521-0451 for more information. Opera in the Ozarks presents its 71st summer season now through July 22nd at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs. Featuring 22 performances of three fully staged operas, including Mozart's Cosi Fantute, Puccini's La Rondina, and Sondheim's A Little Night Music, plus a special Broadway cabaret in Fayetteville, and more. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org. The big gay market is going to be held at the Momentary in Bentonville tonight. It will last until 10. The indoor market will feature tattoo artists, two drag photo booths, a pride nail salon, button-making station, and a break room featuring various food and drink vendors. If you want to learn more, just go to themomentary.org. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Van Buren. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to our Thursday edition of Ozarks at Large included Daniel Carruth, Matthew Moore, Leah Uribe, and Paul Gatling. Today's show was produced by Matthew Moore, Sound Perimeter produced by Timothy Dennis, and the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report produced by Stephanie Brock. And again, thank you for your continued support for Ozarks at Large and KUAF. Our end of the fiscal year fundraiser will be ending in just a few hours. If you have been meaning to make a contribution before July arrives, you can do so right now at supportkuaf.com. It takes a couple of minutes. You can make the contribution in the amount you choose. I think all of the questions you might have will be answered there. Supportkuaf.com. To everyone who has already contributed during June, thank you very much. To our sustaining members who give a little bit every month, thank you so much as well. And if you'd like to become a sustaining member, you can do that as well at supportkuaf.com. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl still performing some live concerts on social media, usually around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, our time. You can find him on his Facebook or Instagram feed. We're back tomorrow, noon and 7, with a Friday edition of our program from Studio 120 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for listening.